Welcome to Because We Had To, a podcast dedicated to the leaders, entrepreneurs, and dreamers who are foundational to the American spirit. This show is powered by Solero Commerce on the Park Life Podcast Network. I'm your producer, Suzette Feller. Today's episode will feature a very special guest, Nashville-based recording artist Harper Gray. But first, here are your hosts, Kevin Jones and Brian Castle. Welcome back to the show, guys. How are you doing? Very well. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. The theme for today's episode, we wanted to start out of the gate with something big and defining big as closest to our hearts, probably. And that's the foundational values of humility and respect. Kevin, you grew up in a very small town in a small county which I know because I looked it up recently, the county where you grew up has less than 30,000 people. Um, it's about 26, 27. I think your hometown has less than 5,000 people. So I know from being your friend for a long time that West Jefferson, Ash County, North Carolina informs a lot of your values and ethos just like Jackson Hines County Mississippi does mine so talk to us a little bit my friend about where those values first started to resonate for you and also crystallize into being so foundational that you don't ever shut up about them It's hard to say when I first recognized them, but I know that I recognized them clearly when I got into the business world. You know, I, you know, part of growing up, um, you know, not a lot of financial uh, resources was when I graduated college, I wasn't going to backpack Europe. I was going to work, you know, I was on a mission to uh, create financial freedom. And, you know, that mission was probably, heavily driven by the fact that my mom worked two jobs to give me the opportunity to even go to school. So I always felt a sense of um, urgency around uh, creating a return on that investment for her, which was her peace of mind of knowing that I was okay. And so I think when I got into the workplace, it was the first time I realized people weren't as good uh, in their hearts as, as the people I grew up with. <laughs> You know, I always tell people if someone doesn't trust you in a negotiation, don't trust them because they're projecting their their own uh, ideals onto you, right? Um, and so, I think that I kind of went into the business world super naively, uh, assuming everybody was a handshake and they meant what they said, like everybody I grew up around. And that wasn't the case, of course. And I very quickly started really appreciating and respecting. Um, the characteristics of the people that I grew up with, the business people that I grew up with. Um, and to this day, I'll state clearly that I still haven't met better people, you know, in my mind. The characteristics, at least that I hold dearly, are most vivid in, uh, in my hometown. And I'm probably more proud of, you know, being from Ash County than uh, really almost anything else in life. So th- that's really, I think, the foundation of when I started believing that respect and humility were cornerstones is because I do have a firm belief um, that entitlement is damaging. Um, I have a firm belief that arrogance is damaging. And I think it's not just damaging to those around us, but to uh, to ourselves as well. 
I think it's hard to be happy, you know, in life personally or professionally or sustainably successful without those two characteristics. And so because I believe that so, you know, in such a heartfelt way, I do work that into any speech or any uh, interview or any article because I think um, that message is something that's really important to me to disseminate to those that uh, I guess look to me for leadership in any way. So as I was preparing for this incredible gathering we're doing right now, I was thinking about, you know, we, we talk about how these are the foundational values. So what do you see as the blocks, the really positive attributes, values, and ethics that people build on top of that? Because I see gratitude first. I think people that are just like that example of my dad, when I said, be my best man, you don't have a choice. You know, that place of humility eventually just poured into this huge gratitude for, and it's not a big deal to be my best man by any stretch. It is the hand Yeah, it is. And it just shows how grateful he would be for virtually anything given to him. What else do you see? Because I know you try to impute, you know, as you're working with people, like you try to predict their success and what you need to do to equip them. What do you see as the follow on things in that regard? Yeah. I mean, from a, from a work perspective or creating value for my company, um, I still think respect and humility are the number one and two things. And the reason for that are you can't be entitled if you're humble, you know, and you can't create sustainable cultures without respect for one another. I mean, one thing we talk about a lot is we respect our, our customer, our partner, our employees, a.k.a. team members. We respect our um, private equity firm. We, ref- we respect our investors. And when you do all those things, if you truly respect and think about walking in all those shoes, you know, you create the appropriate balance in order to build a business. Um, but outside of those two things, I mean, I do watch people when I pick them up, um, you know, in the lobby and ride the elevator with them. If they're above someone, you know, whether it's the janitor or, you know, um, just a, a newer, lower level, uh, younger employee, or, you know, if they treat people differently, I mean, they're out, period. Uh, because, you know, our best ideas don't come from the C-suite all the time, by the way. You know, um, my executive assistant, who's really my right-hand person, uh is my best advisor and and pushes me and has a lot of the best ideas, even though, um, you know, she's younger and, uh, and not as experienced. She sees the world differently and it's very valuable. You know, the same for our project manager and the same for the person we're, we're hosting today, um, on our show. So, uh, those are the people that, you know, a lot of people would overlook the opinions of, and we get some of our best from there. Um, but outside of that, man, it's buckets of ownership. It's who is just built in that way where they, have trouble sleeping at night if what they're responsible for isn't doing well. And I think um, regardless of, you know, how small or large that bucket of ownership is, one thing we talk about with every new employee is this is your bucket of ownership. And, you know, on the flip side of growth um, is if I'm laying awake at night worrying about someone else's bucket of ownership and they're not also laying awake at night, they're probably not going to be a Solero very long. If we're both laying awake, that's 100% fine. But, you know, I really like to find people who take pride in their own bucket of ownership. And so, you know, that's someone that's 
responsible, uh, you know, organized, and um, is hungry. Well, what I love seeing across your organization broadly and deeply as Suzette and I forge more relationships on a weekly basis is, you know, there's two ways these things apply. They apply uh, humility and respect, apply internally, but also very much externally, like how you treat your colleagues, how you treat your partners, and every single person we've ever worked with um, treats us like royalty. Um, they are so appreciative. They're so positive for us to work with. They expect big things out of us. They treat us like we're part of the family and not a vendor. And what's amazed me is 90% of these people were working for somebody else one year to a year and a half ago. How do you you and your team, because I know it's not all about you, how are y'all able to achieve that ethics so quickly? I'm going to answer that with a little bit of a counter, which is, you know, quickly is, is I guess, a relative term, because I, my answer to that is actually patience. <laughs> um, because I think, you you know, you know, you worked with me in my, you know, mid-20s, and I was not nearly as patient, but I've, I often talk about like Casey Musgraves, you know, has the song slow burn and I've gotten a lot better at, you know, understanding that some things just take time. You can't rush them. You have to just be there for the long haul, whether it's if, you know, someone has told someone something about your character, you could go defend it right then, or you can just let it play out. And you know that they're going to eventually figure out it was the other person, (laughs) maybe a character issue. Um, And I've learned to, or I guess I've just evolved to a place to allow a lot more uh, time to burn. Um, what we try to do, and I actually scientifically approach this with my leadership team, was when we acquire business, you know, one of the first speeches I give to them is that, you know, we don't expect them to respect us. We don't expect them to trust us. We just expect them to work hard uh, towards common goals while they're figuring that out. And, um, at that point, you know, what we try to do is spend the first, you know, 90 to 180 days really being super humble and trying to articulate the mission, articulate the strategy, articulate the whys, answer all their questions, absorb their concerns um, from a humble perspective. And then, frankly, though, as that 180 days expires, if they're not there, we're going to flip them. <laughs> um, but you know, we can't obviously have people rowing the boat in the opposite direction, but we can for a while because, you know, this is a change. Change is hard. We try to understand that and be very empathetic to that uh, and spend a lot of time uh, articulating the whys. You know, here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's the long term strategy. Here's how it helps the customers. Here's how it helps you, the, the team members. Here's how it helps the company, the investors, etc. And if they really gain, gain a good understanding of those whys, they typically understand it. They debate us and we change. Like we evolve to a spot where we have a common thread. We have common uh, uh, initiatives and objectives. And once that, they know that they're a part of that decision-making process and that strategy creation. Once that comes around, you know, most everybody's on board. 
The presenting sponsor of Because We Had To is Solero Commerce. Now more than ever, small businesses are turning to Solero for integrated payments and business management tools to help their businesses survive the COVID-19 pandemic and prepare for a brighter future. Visit solerocommerce.com to learn more. It's time to welcome our special guest, country music artist Harper Gray. Harper is originally from Montgomery, Alabama, but now spends her time making music in Nashville. She's also a former employee and close friend of the Solero team. Welcome to the show, Harper. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, we're excited to have you, Harper. Um, you and uh, Mr. Jones have a bit of a history. I think he describes you as one of his first great friends and kind of critical people in his life after he relocated to Nashville. T- tell us how you guys met and uh, all the adventures you embarked on pretty quickly thereafter. Well, KJ is family. We joke about it all the time, but he really is. And um, it was kind of immediate. I was in a space in my personal life where I was actually ready to give up music. That's why I was going out on a job hunt. I wanted to put roots into something that I could grow into and and really go more corporate, you know, but I wanted to be in an environment that also still was creative and energetic and innovative and all the things that was, I come to find out, Solero. And I didn't know at the time, but I, I had been an executive assistant, a side gig job. So that's what you kind of have to do to support yourself in the music industry at first. Like we joke that a, an artist's first goal is to be able to fully be an artist where you can, where all you have to do is just, you know, pay your bills doing music versus having to have side gigs. But I was at a point in my life where I wanted to put roots into a different job and I went on, I think it was one of those job app um, sites. I don't even remember which one, but sent in a resume, totally underqualified, but was like, please just give me an opportunity to like talk to you. (laughs) And then he emailed back um, directly too, which I thought was really cool because he was, you know, that he's a CEO Um, and he emailed back directly. We ended up getting, had to first interview somehow made it through to the next one where he asked for us to like go to a lunch spot. And one thing about me is I love food, big foodie in Nashville, love music. And it was right after the CMA awards, which I didn't know at the time, but him and his wife had gone to, and I had gone to as well as an artist. It was kind of one of my last artist events. And, um, cause I really was hanging it all up <laughs> and was going to pour everything in to this job and was offered the job. Um, and I think something that him and I both really cared about in this position was being able to have like a relationship and a vibe with one another where you could just, you didn't have to talk. You just knew what he was thinking and he knew what I was thinking. And we kind of had that right off the bat. So you've told me before, Kevin, how Harper, inspires you you know as a person as a man as a family person and as a business person can you just walk us through your life because i'm so as a creative entrepreneur myself i have a lot of respect for what you're trying to do yeah no um well i'm from a very small town in alabama real town alabama and we, I grew up about 30 minutes away from Auburn. So Auburn was kind of my hub. My whole family um, 
worked there, War Eagle. But I was very fortunate enough to have grandparents who stepped in when my mom and dad weren't able to raise my older sister and I. My mom, um, out of, she had my older sister when she was 15, had me when she was 20, and she hadn't sown, you know, her wild oats, um, at age 20. So right after having me, she kind of just went down the path of drugs and alcohol. And, and when you start on the kind of drugs that she was on, it kind of went from, you know, just recreational herbal drugs to harder drugs, like you name it. She was, doing them. And my, my dad, he was just ill-equipped. You know, he, he didn't know what to do with two girls. He also had his own addictions as well. And he wasn't the best with kids and some people are great with them and some people just aren't. So my grandparents stepped in and got custody of my older sister and I, which was the biggest blessing that I could have been around because that was where I was able to see music every single day. And, um, I had an incredible relationship with my grandmother and granddad. My my granddad, though, you know, coming from such a small town, we we grew up with not a lot. But um, I've talked about it with KJ before, where it's like I didn't know that we were in the bottom percent of socioeconomic status because there was so much love in our family, and a lot of that centered around music. And I think about had I had my mom like fought to have me and my older sister or even my dad, you know, how different my life would have been because I wouldn't have heard my granddad playing piano growing up. I wouldn't have been in church listening to my grandmother sing in the choir. And um, my granddad, though, you know, we had a really great relationship but he also, it was a tough life. Like he was a farmer and he didn't make a ton of money. And um, I didn't have great, you know, men role models in my life because he was so focused on trying to have what he could, you know, incorporate into our family. But my grandmother was more the breadwinner. She worked at the athletic department at Auburn. So when I was embarking on, I've talked about this with KJ before too, it was really important to me, um, and I say this as like a strong woman, but it was really important to me to work for a man that I wanted to work for, you know, that inspired me because I wanted to have like a, a positive male role model in my life. I wanted to be around not toxic, not toxicity, you know, and upon meeting KJ and Jeff, it was like, okay, this is I, like, this is it. You know, like these are incredible, incredible just men, you know, men in the in the industry and also men at home. And that was an environment that I wanted to be around because I hadn't been around it before. And kind of going into the, the music side, my granddad and I, our relationship was centered around music. He was the, he was an incredible musician. He played for Johnny Cash. He played for, like played at the Ryman, like my, one of my biggest goals in my musical careers to play at the Opry where my granddad played. Um, he was a musician. So he ended up understanding the hard knocks of the music industry. And for a long time, I didn't understand or even didn't know that I could have a career in music because he was so good and he didn't have a career in it. So I grew up seeing that he wanted a better life for me than what he had. And so it was kind of this interesting um, upbringing in that we recognize you have a talent, a gift, something that you're truly passionate about, but you can't make money doing it. 
And it wasn't until I went to college that I realized that I could. And I ended up um, getting a scholarship to go to Auburn University. And I think that when I was there, I started to see that, you know, this is a passion. And I tried. I mean, working at Solero is another perfect example of I tried so many times to go the, the like normal, the stable route that your parents want you to go down, in my case, my grandparents. And every time there would be like a bigger opportunity in the music industry, a door would open like every single time. My senior year of college, I was going to be a teacher. I was going to go get my master's. I had applied for different colleges because I was like, okay, realistically, like when you grow up without money, I feel like you have this why in the road where you either be exactly like how you came up or you push to be bigger, better, greater. And neither is like better than the other. There are people that are in my town. They love what they do. They love, you know, waking up every morning and and hauling in hay for their horses. And that's an incredible life. I just wanted different. I wanted to get out. I wanted to be able to bring something back to my grandmother. Honestly, that was a big, a big push for me too. Um, but when I got to my senior year in college, I was forced to, to face that realistic journey of can you afford to live outside of college and do music or do in that part of my time musical theater? Um, and I couldn't. I didn't have, you know, the family to support me while I was doing it. And I got some of the best advice I ever got in my entire life from a voice teacher. He said, you're going to get um, 500 no's before one maybe. And if that scares you, you need to start like your freshman year all the way over. Like, I don't care that you're in your senior year. Like that can't scare you in this industry. And it didn't scare me. It excited me. Like I wanted to get the 500 no's out of the way so I could get the one maybe, you know? So I ended up auditioning for a show kind of prematurely. I was in my first semester senior year. And then before I knew it, I got cast on it and then was hauled away way to LA. I'd never been west of the Mississippi River, so that was an interesting journey, to say the least. But um, I was on that TV show, and then while I was there, I was deciding between musical theater or country music. And that was another decision of New York City or Nashville was really what that um, was reveled in. And so I ended up choosing Nashville because I wanted to be a car ride away from my family. That was, that's the truth. I don't really tell people that because sometimes I'll be like, oh, I, I just want it like country music is my roots, which it was, but I really wanted to be a car ride away from my grandparents. I want to know, you obviously hit like this pivotal point where you joined Solero, you're trying to go corporate. So what happened? What happened that's now got you you're a touring musician. I know you've set up your own label. So you're a, you're, you're not only an artist, but you're a creative entrepreneur like me. And what happened to make all that launch for you? And what's it like? Yeah. Well, to put it lightly, I went to hot yoga one day. Nashville things. things. Um, I didn't want to go to hot yoga that day, but I had a weird day and I went to hot yoga and behind me was a man named Bobby Bones. And um, we 
did our thing, had, had the class, walked out, and then we just started talking and I knew who he was, you know, like he's, if you're in country music, you, you have to know who Bobby Bones is because he's such a huge game player in our industry, not only locally, but globally. And, um, I just told him a quick, he had just won the mirror ball trophy of dancing with the stars. And I told him, you know, congrats, happy you brought it home was definitely surprised. It wasn't in yoga with you, but that's okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then we just started chatting on the way out and he kept asking, you know, what do you do? Um, and I told him yeah, I work at Solero and, um, and then he was like, no, like you, you definitely look like you do something else. Like you, are you in the industry? And I was, like, well, I, I um, am in the music industry. I kept skirting around it because I do listen to his show and I knew that that was an opportunity. Not many people have his ear in such an organic way, but I also was like, I'm not about to be one of those people that's like, here's my demo. Here's my this. And, um, and so I didn't say like for a whole like five minutes of him asking what I did, I was like, well, I'm in the music industry. And he was like, well, what do you do? Are you a publisher? Are you a this? Are you a that? And finally told him, I was like, no, I'm an artist. Um, I have a few songs out. Like, you know, I really was downplaying it because again, at that point I really had like, I was all in with Solero. This was going to transition from being a career to a hobby. And so I was talking to him. He was the first conversation really that I had about it being a hobby versus, you know, something I wanted to pursue. And he said he was going to listen to my music. And then two days later, I got a email or either an Instagram DM from his programmer asking me to come on the show that Bobby loved my song Monster. And I knew why he loved it. Um, my The song Monster in particular is a common thread that him and I share with both of our mothers having drug addiction and having both passed away from their drug addictions. And my mom's one year anniversary of her death was coming up. Um, It was actually two days away from when the programmer asked me to come in and play on the show. And then he didn't know this, but he asked me to come in on my mom's um, death day. And so it was a year to the day that my mom had passed. And it was just a moment for that Bobby and I shared and also that all of his fans that were along for his journey and they know him so well and they just understood where I was coming from because a lot of his fan base are people who have been through you know, drug addiction or their, their parents are incarcerated, you know, different aspects of that. So that really did launch my career in a very big way. And, um, I didn't know what was going to come of it. I was just excited to be able to sing a song that meant so much to me. Um, And then one thing led to another. I met a woman who's now my business partner in Moonprint Records um, named Julie Rieger, and she wanted to open a a label with me. And so we, we went in on it and I, it's wild, but like I, she's such an incredible business partner. I maintain ownership of the label as an independent artist. Um, that's now a part associated to a label. That's so huge. I own all of my masters, um, which is so important because so many label deals now are 360 deals or they're just not set up for the artist that hasn't broken big yet. Like if you're making great money and you're bringing in seven figures as an artist, a 360 deal is fine. You'll, you'll have a great living, but if you're not, 
I mean, you're working other jobs with a major record deal. So it's, it's difficult. So I'm definitely positioned to succeed um, in the industry, but success comes in so many different forms. It's not just monetary, you know, it's so much more than that. So. Yeah. I'll interject, Brian. I mentioned that that Bobby Bones show. So when she was on that show, I get a text message from friends in California. I said, Hey man, is, is your executive assistant on the Bobby Bones show right now? And I was like texting my wife, Carol and said, I'm going to miss Shannon. She <laughs> miss her. Well, I, he asked like, what, I, what do I do? And I was like, well, everyone knows me as Harper, but I have this whole other life as Shanna and I am as executive assistant at Solero Commerce and like did a whole plug of Solero on the show. And like <laughs> literally did text messages from all over the country. And like, you would think I'd be excited, but I was like bummed. I'm like, this is it. All right. So, <laughs> going to miss her. <laughs> Even though she didn't know that at the time, she was kind of like, I did. that was just a great moment, you know, for me personally. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And like, it's, it's over, but <laughs> it's great because she's played such a huge part in just our overall culture. And, you know, every, every team member, you know, loves her. And she was one of the first 10 uh, team members of Solera. So she plays a really important role she still at our Christmas party this year. She just mm-hmm. wasn't there as a guest. She was there singing. <laughs> um, no, because she was there as yeah. a friend. But she did um, also uh, agree to play our fintech event in Nashville. And uh, as she got signed, I told her she couldn't up her rate on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are the only one. A fixed rate, 30-year fixed rate. So Kevin and I talk a lot um, in public and private about the importance of mentorship. What do you look for in your mentors now that you are a creative entrepreneur and working artist? Yeah, I think that honestly, it goes back to what I was saying when I sat down with KJ the first time was the transparency, honesty, being able to take constructive criticism because you know it's coming from a place of openness and love and I, I think that that those are some components that really matter to me, um, because with that freedom of being an independent artist, you're leading your own leash there. You know, the only people that are a part of your journey are the ones that you allow. And I think for me, like KJ, his family is also a mentor, like whether it be us having coffee and lunch and having one on one conversation or it's me, one of my best friends works um, with KJ and hearing her talk about and like just debrief her week and how much she grows underneath KJ. It's like seeing those pieces, too. And, and who are you talking about? Abigail Lucier. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, the best redhead ever. She's a boss. <laughs> She's the best. We're, we're going to have her on the podcast uh, sooner than later. Oh, she'll tell all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for me, you know, I, I kind of work best under not too many cooks in the kitchen. I don't have many mentors. The ones that I do are the ones that I really trust. I trust them not only in my life, but in people that I care about their lives as well. And actually brought Abigail into Solero because I knew how much she would grow working with KJ and Jeff and just the environment that he created. And for me, that's what mentorship is all about. It really is rooted in growth and, and humility. I just think that's one of the 
a, a really big thing. Like I work so well with people that I feel comfortable saying I messed up, I made a mistake and not be judged for it, but to be held accountable. And that is how I, I feel like he would say that in a second. This is probably a good place to leave you. I definitely want you to come back. Please come back. But I'm proud of you. Keep getting it done. Kevin, you want to say anything to our friend here? Hey, I mean, just great to see you. I know. All the chances (laughs) to get together are fantastic. And this was a special one to get Mm -hmm. to chat and for Brian and I to have you on the show because we love you. And I mean, so proud of you and just more than the music, I'm just proud of the human being that you are. Oh, um, don't make me cry. I'm a cancer. Can't be doing yeah, same, <laughs> I But I think, um, <laughs> I think it's just cool. Like it's a great message to people to regardless of the way that we grew up. And that's one of the things we connected on really quickly is we both had, you know, ups and downs in our childhood, both had a lot of love around us, but other struggles. Yeah. Um, and I think that was always a connecting point for us. And I think uh, you're a great example to people out there that, Regardless of, um, you know, some of the challenges that we face, we still have a choice to make as to who we want to be. Mm-hmm. It's like the Ava Brothers quote that I always refer to, you know, decide who to be and go be it. Mm-hmm. And I think you've done a great job of that. And it's inspirational to everybody around you. Thank you. So that was very we're pulling sweet. for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to Because We Had To, sponsored by Solero Commerce on the Park Life Podcast Network. We'll be back soon for another episode. In the meantime, visit solerocommerce.com for more insights, as well as resources to help your small business weather COVID-19.